Welcome to Retro Rewind, Pinal Central's new sports-themed podcast, where we talk to former Pinal County athletes and discuss memorable moments in local sports history. This podcast is brought to you by Casa Grande Jewelry and Pawn. We bring integrity, honesty, and customer satisfaction is our number one priority. We are a family-owned and operated business, and we treat our customers like family. Start off the new year by checking out our amazing inventory of guns, jewelry, and more. Located at 1326 North Pinal Avenue in Costa Grande. Open 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday to Friday and 9 to 4 on Saturday. Our phone number is 520-836-7774. Hi, everybody, and welcome again to Retro Rewind. I'm your host, Brian Wright, and I'm joined by my co-host, Maria Vasquez, and our guest today is Jake Barrow. This is going to be a part two of our conversation with the Casa Grande Union head football coach, and uh, Jake, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So we finished uh, part one of our discussion talking about the 2020 team and all that you guys overcame uh, to make it all the way to the state semifinals uh, before losing to uh, Cactus. Um, I want to know... you know, we, we talked a little, too, about um, how you kind of connect with your players and, and some of the things that go into being a head coach. And you talked about how it's so much more than X's and O's. Um, and so I want to know with this 2020 season, because it was a unique season that, you know, we'd never seen before, what did you kind of learn about yourself as a coach, you know, having to deal with all these things that maybe you hadn't had to deal with before? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, in the last episode, I kind of talked a little bit about how during the 2020 season, you find yourself being less of a football coach and more of a counselor at times, uh, just dealing with kids' mental health and, and how important that is to them. Um, you know, for, for myself personally, I think you just learn how important the game really is, not just to the kids for a second, because that was obvious, right? When when we were shut down in the spring and, and in the summer, you know, talking to the kids every day, it's obvious how important this game really means to them. But to me, <laughs> as, a, as a football coach, um, because this is my vehicle to, to change lives of young kids. I, I say change lives, you know, it's a little self-serving, but, um, you know, it, that's the goal, right? You want to change lives. You want to make a, an impact on kids, and you use football as that way of doing, doing it. And so for me, you know, I, I was able to have some time as reflection going into this season because we were all, you know, stuck at home for a time. And, and you know, I just kind of learned about myself. This game is so much more than winning football games and championships and kids getting scholarships and kids getting recognitions. This is just really a special game about building who you are, finding out who you are as a young age and, and who you want to be and building skills that you'll use in your life. And, you know, every sports coach says that because that's the sound bite. But I don't believe I really realized it until this year because this is the year that exposed all of that. Uh, just with the, the adversity that we all faced in our everyday lives. Um, so, you know, being at home for a time and then finally getting back out to the field, you know, I, I think I finally realized just being able to coach this game and how important it is. Um, and I talked to a couple 
kids recently, a couple weeks ago, just about how important this season was to them and how it made them realize um, what they're capable of because they they realized, I mean, there were three, four, five times it would have been so easy to quit and so easy to say this is too much. This is too much stress. I'm, I'm having to do school online and then come into the, the school um, at a certain time for temperature health checks and then wear a mask and, and I'm having to go in the weight room five kids at a time and work out and then I'm having to go on the field and run wearing my mask and I mean it would have been so easy to quit but because they made it through all that they've seen who they are and what they're capable of and you know I've seen that a little bit in myself as a coach just this is what this is all about I mean I can't believe they pay guys to do this job because it's it's such a rewarding profession if you really look at it right and so you know I, I this was the first year I really realized what that means as far as it's not just about, you know, winning and, and all the great stuff that comes along with it. It's truly about what the game can do for you. Was there a most memorable moment for you during this season of, uh, you know, that included many, I'm sure, memorable moments? Was there one that stands out? Let's see. Um, yeah, there were a lot. Um, I, I, you know, there's a couple um, – you know, the, the, the kickoff of the South Point Catholic game, because I finally realized we're actually playing a football game. That was that was one, because I thought, man, I would have never thought this happened. Um, but after the um, Peoria game, when, when we realized that we were going into the semifinals, um, you know, the players had just dumped a bunch of water on me, and it was like 30 degrees out, and I was freezing. Um, but it was a good time to reflect on, where we were because I think as a head coach during especially during the COVID-19 pandemic a lot of your time is spent stressing out about how to get from one day to the next and I know that at least describes me Um, so that was the first time ever I think I actually got to kind of stand back and watch the kids celebrate on their own because, you know, after they dump the water on me they're going and celebrating with each other on the field I'm left freezing on the sideline and so I was able to step back and watch them celebrate and jumping all over each other. And some of them are crying and, and, you know, they're just absolute joy on their faces. And that was the most memorable moment to me because I realized, wow, we really accomplished something here in the face of all doubt in the world. Because myself included, nobody thought we were going to have a fall football season. And we were able to not only navigate the craziest time in American history, but we were also able to have the best season in modern Castle Grand Cougar football history. So when you can partner those together, that's just an incredible rush of emotion. So after that Peoria game, watching the kids and seeing the joy on their face celebrate, that's something I'll never forget. So Randy Robbins, uh, you know, he's the athletic director now, and he even spent some time coaching on your staff. Yeah. Um, we all know about his background, um, great player, at, starting at Casa Grand Union, yeah. then at U of A, then in the NFL, mostly with the Denver Broncos. Um, what have you learned from Randy Robbins about um, being a head coach and um, maybe just uh, life lessons, anything like that? A lot. Um, there's a lot of individual things to mention. Um, but basically what, what, what makes Randy such a great guy to work for is um, I can walk in his office at any time 
And I do. I, I'm in there at least once a day with just, hey, what would you do in this situation? Hey, let me ask you what you think about this, uh, you know, if this were to happen to you. Just bouncing ideas off him constantly. And um, he's a guy that he's, he's not going to tell you what to do, but he's going to give you all the information you need and, and all the life experience that he has within the game of football comes into play there. Um, where he'll say, you know, coach, the, the final decision is yours, but this is what I would do, and this is what I've seen done, and this is both sides of it. And and I've never, you know, I've had mentors in, in my life, coaches, but I've never had one that have accomplished the things he has in the game of football. And, um, you know, he just sees it from all sides. Having been a coach to an athletic director, you know, his career as a player, and you just learn um, – you know how to deal with people within the game of football because he's seen all three sides of it. He's seen it as a player at the highest level, as a coach at the highest level. You know, University of Arizona, and, and with us on our staff, which I can talk about too. That was uh, just a great experience for me. And then now as an athletic director, as hiring a coach, and you know when he hired me, it was basically, I'm going to let you do your thing. I'm going to let you coach, but I'm here if you need me. And when I heard that. That was just, you know, the, the green light for me to go in that office and, hey, what about this? What about that? What about – and I, it's been six years, and there has not been one day that I haven't stopped by his office and asked him a question and got his opinion on something um, because he just has a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, my growth as a head coach, a lot of it has come from working for him just because of who he is. And, and you'd never know. You know, he doesn't take credit for things. He's a very humble guy. You know, with all he's accomplished, I would, I'd be wearing my Broncos jersey to work every day. You know, if I was him, uh, but you'd never know it. And 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 he's just he's just he'll 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 answer the question if you ask. He's not one for unsolicited advice, but um, I, I take advantage of everything he'll give. And and like I said, every day I'm in there uh, asking him things, and I've learned quite a bit from him, especially the the year we spent coaching together. That was big too. So back when you first took over the the football program here, did you have a timeline or something set? Like, okay, uh, this is how long I think it's going to take me to better the program, or was that even you know one of your? Well, obviously, it's always a goal, you know, to make the program better than from when you got there. But you know, what was the ultimate goal for you? Well, I mean, you kind of try to break things up, I think, into smaller goals, especially when you're taking over a program that was in the place that, that this one was when, when I took it over. I mean, you know, to even say I have a winning season was kind of the first goal because that hadn't happened in so long. Um, and, I mean, I, I've said it before, but if someone would have stopped me in 2015 going into that season and said, hey, do you think you could win a state championship here? I would have said, oh, you know. Oh, are you crazy? You know, have you have you been around? Have you seen you know where we are? Let's baby steps first. And so, um, and obviously, you never say that to uh, you know other coaches or players on your staff. But um, you know, we, we just kind of broke it up into little things. And I just said, you know, I think that if we get the kids to buy in and commit, we can get there. Um, as far as a timeline, I think I said I wanted to be a um, playoff team by year three. And we were able to do it in the first year, and I think a lot of that helped, you know, the scheduling and things. that we, A lot of things went our way. Um, and each year we just kind of kept building. Um, and then once we were finally over the hump of being a playoff team, I, I, you know, we turned our sights on. We wanted to win a playoff game because that hadn't been done in over 20 years. 
and um, able to do that last year for the first time. And then, and then after last year was, I think, the first time we actually said as a coaching staff, hey, our primary goal is now to win a state championship. And this is year five. So, you know, I think, I think you break it up into small things. I, I had said playoff team in three years. That was kind of my initial thing, and, and we ended up overshooting that. And then last year, year five, was the first time we actually said our primary goal needs to be to compete for a state championship. Uh, and we did. You know, we were game away this year and, and really close, and I think we'll be there again, uh, no question. Um, but it, it really took to year five before we really said, all right, enough with the, the minor goals, and now let's go after the whole thing. And um, that's where we are today. So the, the timeline's changed quite a few times, um, and it's never a perfect science. Um, but if you would have told me in 2015 that by year five you're going to be competing for state championships regularly, I would have been thrilled with that, and I probably would have called you crazy. But it's where we're at. Now, this junior class is such an exceptional uh, group of athletes. Um, but, you know, Angel Flores, this, this guy, he's just different. And he started from you since his freshman year, which that in and of itself doesn't happen all that often. No. <clears throat> but um, tell us what you see in Angel, both as a player uh, and, and as a person as well, because I know that his uh, characteristics, um, just his personality and his leadership play into the big picture as well. Yeah, so I first met Angel when he was in eighth grade. Uh, he came to our quarterback camp. We, we, we do what well, we didn't do it last year, but we do an off-season quarterback camp for youth football players every year and, and he just showed up uh just showed up to it our, our freshman football coach he was our varsity line coach for a while mark luna was his youth football coach and you know he just said hey come on out and throw the ball and um you know no disrespect to anybody else but at that camp was when we kind of noticed him and said this kid might be better than our varsity starter right now um this kid's really special and um the first thing that jumped out at me even at that point, was his work ethic. You know, he never missed a day. He would show up. This is a camp where, you know, you charge the kids five bucks, give them a T-shirt, and they show up once a week for six weeks. And he wanted extra work on the side. He wanted to start coming to the strength camp in the, in the weight room. The work ethic for this kid was incredible for an eighth grader. Um, and then so fast forward to his freshman season. Um, he gives us the whole summer. Um, you know, he's right now at that point, he's competing for a varsity job, which to me was crazy uh, for a, a freshman coming in. Um, and we're, we're at camp, which for us is mid-July, and we have a coaches meeting and just say, look, the, the young kid's the best by far, you know, his, his, the way he throws the ball, the way he uh, commands the offense at such a young age is unlike anything we've ever seen. So he's named the starter shortly after that. Um, has a good freshman season, you know, more than what's to be expected of a kid that age. And, and um, you know, little hiccups along the way, but, you know, we're proud of him. Sophomore year is really his breakout year where he just, you know, just blows up and becomes one of the best quarterbacks in Arizona and is really recognized as such uh, where he is now. And then his junior year, his past year, as everybody knows, you know, he solidified himself as I'm one of the best quarterbacks in, in Arizona. And, you know, our recruiting coordinator, Lou Perone, says all the time he's one of the best in the country. Um, this kid's the real deal. Um, so other than his on-the-field statistics and just kind of 
what he can do is just who he is uh, as a student athlete, as a person. And I love this kid. I love Angel Flores. I love all my players. Um, but this kid is really special because when you talk about someone that is a selfless athlete that really loves their teammates and, and man, he doesn't just want to win. He wants to win for them. And, and he's said it uh, multiple times. You know, I remember South Point game. We're struggling a little bit, right? It's a close game. It's within a touchdown, but we're struggling to really mount a, a drive to take the lead back. That was kind of what we were trying to do the whole second half there. And, and he comes off the sideline, and we're talking, you know, about adjustments and things we need to do. And I just kind of tell him, I say, hey, Angel, you're doing everything you can do. You know, don't be, because he looked really down, and he looked at me, and he said, Coach, I hate seeing my teammates struggle like this. I hate seeing my teammates upset because, you know, they want to win this game. They want to – that's what bothers him. And so a lot of kids that, you know, I've coached and a lot of kids just period would be like, yeah, I'm doing everything I can do. What's going on, guys? This is not that kid, you know. He, he, he gets his joy from his teammates succeeding more than himself. And, and I, that's just so rare in athletics. Um, and I think that sums him up as a person. Because he's a kid that you'll see wrapping presents for Christmas with the Eloy Fire Department. He's a kid that you'll see volunteering, picking up trash at local parks. He's a kid that uh, mentors younger students, tutors. Um, you know, he's just all around a good person. And it comes from his family. His mother, um, you know, is really does a great job making sure he's well-rounded and stays active in his community. Um but I, again, I, I you know I push this kid to every college I can because it's not just he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. The person that you're getting is worth you know it's worth his weight in platinum because he's such a good person and he's such a great asset to any program. You know we're fortunate to have him. I, I just you know, I'm fortunate to be able to coach him because it's going to carry him far, and I'm real excited to see what what becomes of his football career once he leaves here. You know, Coach, let's take it a little bit more of a macro look. Um, I want to know what your opinion is on football in Pinal County. Um, obviously, you're right in the middle of it. Um, you get to play a lot of these teams. Um, but, you know, so much attention is put on Maricopa County and Pima County because those are the two biggest counties. Um, uh, but do you, do you think that the state of Pinal County football uh, is on the upswing? I mean, where, where do you kind of see Pinal County right now? Oh, for sure, on the upswing. Um, yeah, I mean, even even as a coach, you know, starting in Maricopa County, a lot of times you forget about, you know, like you said, Maricopa and Pima are the two um, that are usually competing for the state championships, at least in the 4, 5, 6A level. And so sometimes you forget about a lot of the Pinal County schools. I mean, you know, Casa Grande uh, for a long time was just a non-player in the in the in the playoff picture, and and you have Maricopa who's done well for for a lot of years, and you know up and down, and and you have Florence and Coolidge who are always you know powers at, at their level, but it wasn't getting the respect. Talking about the county as a whole, Pinal County football wasn't getting the respect that I realized it deserved once I got down here. Um, because the athletes in Pinal County are just as good, if not better, than anywhere else. We just are presented with our own set of obstacles, right? Um, you know, we're very rural. Um, you know, a lot of these schools are spread out. Um, we're also in a, in a spot where, 
and it's, this does happen, where a lot of kids live in Casa Grande, uh, live in Maricopa, and drive to the Valley to go to high school. That happens quite a bit. Um, and so we're in a tough spot, uh, not just geographically, but, you know, to build from because some of your resources you don't have uh, that you do at a lot of the Maricopa County schools. But I think um, you just you look at the job that Coach Davis did at, at Santa Cruz, and I, I cannot speak enough higher praise than, than that turnaround because, the, you know, you talk about the resources that they've had in a rural program and, and a tough community. I mean, Eloy is all of that, you know. Does Eloy have the state-of-the-art weight room that, you know, Chandler High has? And No. Do they have the tough kids? That they, yep, they do. And, you know, do they have a loyal community? Yes, they do. And you get a coach in there like like Coach Davis that's, you know, he's going to push them and he's going to hold them accountable and he's going to bring some excitement to the program and, and look at what can happen. And um, you have Coach Shanks at Coolidge who is just one of the best. Um, and, and he's starting to bring that back and bring those kids to be excited and, and hold them accountable. And I'm excited to see the future of Coolidge under him, too, because I'm a huge fan of Coach Shanks. And, and, you know, I actually played for him in high school. He was one of my coaches at Seton Catholic, or he was my head coach. And, um, you know, I, I just see what he's building. And, and over at Maricopa, you know, I'm less familiar with, with them there. But I just – it's all the pieces are there, right? Uh, we have the athletes. We have the kids. And you just look at some of the, the things they've done, you know, just us, Casa Grande, in the semifinals this year, Eloy winning the state, or Santa Cruz winning the state championship. I mean, there is talent here. Um, I just think, you know, we got to get some of that respect that you just, you just don't see it. And, uh, you know, we deserve it. So you put together a few more seasons of that, a few more success, uh, successful programs in the county, and you keep winning. Pretty soon, people are going to have no choice but to respect you as one of the top um, areas for, for football in, in Arizona. And, and the way I hear about it mostly is from college coaches when they recruit. A lot of them would fly into Sky Harbor Airport, recruit the Phoenix area, drive straight to Tucson, recruit Tucson. Well, now there's so many other stops down the I-10, you know, not just us, but, you know, uh, Eloy, um, Florence, Coolidge, Maricopa. And, I'm, and I'm, I know I'm forgetting more and more, but, you know, there's so many other stops that weren't on their itineraries San before. Valley. San Tan Valley, yeah, that weren't on their list anymore and, uh, before. And now they're just saying, look, you know, it's that you guys are growing. And the future for Pinal County football, I think, is going to be really exciting. It's, you mentioned, you know, the, the kids, they all live around here, but they drive up to the Valley and all these different schools. Um, what do you think is that mi- missing piece that it's going to just – complete the picture to say, hey, okay, um, there's really good programs right here in my hometown. I think a lot of it is, is continuity and, and consistency. Um, you know, before I got to Casa Grande, they were basically running on a new head coach every three years. And so nobody in Casa Grande had the same coach for four years. You know, they, they would have a different guy when they graduated from when they started as a freshman. I mean, that was kind of just common. And um, you, you've seen that at a lot of the schools in Pinal County, unfortunately. Um, you know, we have a few that are staying now for, for some time, which I think it's really huge. Um, you know, Maricopa, um, you know, if that coach sticks around and really builds it, I think that can be huge. Um, but I think the schools in Pinal County were known for a long time as just kind of a revolving door for coaches. You know, either they'd go down there and, 
didn't like us, they'd leave or they wouldn't have success. And um, they didn't build that community relationship. And so the community didn't feel tied to the football program. There was no community loyalty to the football program because nobody was there to build it. It was always a different face. It was always a different person in charge. And so it was easy for people to say, I'm going to take him up to Desert Vista, where Coach Hines was there for 24 years. Or I'm going to take him to Mountain Point, where you know Coach Vaughn was one of the top teams in the, in the country at that time. Or, you know, Bashett, Chandler, Hamilton, just perennial powers that everybody knows those schools. Everybody, so, you know, they're on ESPN once a, once a year. It was easy for people to take their kids up there because why would I stay, you know? There's nobody here working on building a relationship with me or my community. And so I think that now, you know, my one of the big emphasis of my program is building that relationship with the community. And now that we're starting to do that, and now that you see other programs doing that, Santa Cruz, um, doing that, you're going to see more people stay. And it's going to start, um, you know, it's not, we're not quite there yet, but it's going to start now, and you're going to keep building to the point where some of those best athletes um, are playing for their hometown teams. Ten years ago, oh, man, maybe more than ten years ago now, but we watched uh, Mountain Point win a state championship, and they were the, ranked fifth in the whole country. And, um, you know, four of their top players on that team lived in Maricopa. And um, I think you're going to see less and less of that in the future because you're going to get people, uh, you know, I'll throw myself in the mix, coaches in this county that really put a big emphasis on building a relationship with community members and people in the community. And you started early when they're in elementary school, junior high, and you develop some loyalty where, all right, I'm not going to go up to any of those other schools in, in the Valley where they don't know my name, I'm going to play here because it's a family-type atmosphere. It's not just a high school football team. And consistency, continuity, that, that's how you build it. That's how you keep it. And we just, we just have to keep it at this point. And, uh, you know, when we talk about recruiting, um, I think that's certainly one of the reasons why you get kids bouncing up into the Valley is they think that they'll have a better chance yeah. of getting recruited. Um, so, you know, I think there is a little bit more of a challenge uh, in certain respects to get recruited out of Pinal County. Uh, however, there's probably also um, advantages such as, you know, a kid might say, oh, I'm going to go up to DV, Mountain Point Channel, or whatever it may be, and that kid gets buried on the depth chart, uh, whereas maybe down here, you know, they, they start and they play a significant role. Um, but from your standpoint, um, recruiting – in Pinal County, you know, um, what are some of the challenges and, uh, you know, how, how do you make sure that, like, kids from your program get the best opportunity to play at the next level? Well, it's certainly more challenging because of where we're located. Um, you know, I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier where a lot of times coaches' itineraries, they're so busy when they're on their recruiting trips. Stopping here in Casa Grande is just not in their sign their schedule um or at least it wasn't and so i think you know as a head coach you really have to push that issue um you know i i i work the phones here calling college coaches to make them stop by here and put us on their schedule more than i have at any other school i've been at because you have to and um you also have to develop the culture early with your kids about hey Recruiting is not about um, where you play. It's about who you are. 
And if you put great football tape, uh, you know, you put it on film, your play on film, and it's great and you stand out, you're going to get recruited. It's about you. They're recruiting you. They're not recruiting the high school you go to. Um, but you have to do that. You know, you can't just think, well, because I'm down here, I'm not getting recruited. You have to put out the film. You have to go uh, reach out to colleges and universities. You have to stay on top of your grades. Um, you know, you have to put the work in. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I can say just flatly, when I first got down here, Cascade, that wasn't really being done. There wasn't a, a big emphasis on, you know, NCAA clearinghouse and, and making sure kids are qualifiers and, um, you know, putting together questionnaires and getting kids uh, to college camps and having schools stop by. And, um, you know, we have a, a recruiting coordinator, you know, Lou Perone, who covers a lot of the Valley um, as well. He, he takes on probably six or seven schools. And, um, you know, he's fantastic, but we pay him through our football booster club uh, every month, and his sole job is just to get people to stop by and see our kids. And in a lot of places, that may not be necessary. But here, you know, because of where we're located just geographically, we really have to advocate for ourselves. And if you speak up and you put great film out and you have great grades and you're organized as far as reaching out to schools, colleges, use social media to your, to your advantage, they'll find you. They'll, they will. We've, you know, it's been proven. Um, but you have to advocate, and you have to know how. Um, you know, you, you have to um, you have to know how to put together. You know, the highlight film and, and the. I mean, this is just stuff that a lot of kids don't know, and, and I think a lot of kids think by going to a big school somewhere else, it's just going to automatically come their way. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, so you kind of got to put in the work, not just on the field, right. but you kind of got to know how to uh, market yourself to a certain uh, extent. Yeah, more now than ever before, um, and I just think the the emergence of social media to where it is now is um, not only does it make marketing yourself easier, but it also makes it um, in a way it puts more pressure on you to do it. Because um, I was talking to kids the other day, just players, and I said, "Man, when I was in high school, I never would have known if a kid at a high school down the street had a scholarship offer here or a scholarship offer there. How would I have known unless I knew him personally?" But now you log in Twitter, and it's all you see. And so it, it, it puts pressure on kids to get these offers, and it puts pressure on kids to, um, I think a lot of times it puts pressure on kids to, to go to certain schools and transfer because they see, um, well, you know, maybe it's where I'm at. Maybe it's, you know, you start second-guessing yourself. You start making excuses for yourself, and you see, well, this kid here, he has this offer, and this kid here has this, and what's the matter with me? Why Am I in the wrong place? So for that part, it's a negative. But the positive is, I tell kids this all the time, in a matter of 15 minutes, I can use Twitter to send film out to 100 coaches. And there's, I mean, that's you got to use that to your advantage. Follow every college coach you can on Twitter. Uh, send your highlights film to them. Fill out their questionnaire so they'll have you on their list of contacts. Um, use it to make contact and build relationships with these people because you can use it to market yourself in a way that you never could before. And instead of using it as comparison, use it as marketing. And um, I, I think you know, we spend a lot of time trying to teach our kids that. You know, it's not just, you know, to see what other people are doing. you got to use it to put yourself out there. Um, so, you know, there's the two sides to it. Obviously, the emergence of social media 
is is tough because it puts pressure on kids. But at the same time, it's an av- it gives you an avenue to get your name out there in a way that you never could have before. So you just kind of have to teach kids how to be that how to be that salesman. You know, they have to say, "This is who I am, and this is why I'm a good fit for you." And you know, here you go. And this is all I can. You know, if they don't like it, move on to somebody else because there's thousands of coaches on Twitter every day that you can maybe build a relationship with just like that. Um, last question. So another recruiting question, but I mentioned earlier that this junior class you have is, is such a spectacular group. So um, ballpark figure, how many kids in the junior class are, are getting offers uh, you think have some significant uh, college interest? Um, that, that's a tough question at the time we're in. And just to kind of preface that a little bit, recruiting is really tough right now tougher than it's ever been because of um, the pandemic we're in. The direct result is the NCAA recently ruled that uh, class of 2021 kids are going to get an extra year of eligibility. And uh, at first that looks like a great thing because a lot of these kids are not getting to play college football. Well, now you look at where does that put high school kids because you're only allowed to have a roster of a certain size. You're only allowed to have so many college scholarships to give. Well, are they going to allow you to give more college scholarships? Are they going to allow you to give to expand your roster? And they said no. NCAA said no, we're not. So just about every coach I talk to from Power 5 down to NAIA says, we just don't know how much we scholarships we have to give right now. We'll know more in February, March when signing day's over. So you're in a really tough spot right now as far as actually picking up physical offers. As far as interest, there's more than 10 guys in the junior class that have it. Um, again, the, the biggest thing for them is their grades are good enough, so we can combine athletic scholarships, academic money, and we can say, hey, you got a full-ride offer to go somewhere in the Midwest or to go somewhere on the East Coast or you know wherever, and um, we can find something for you. Um, so, yeah, definitely 10, 10 uh, or more. I mean, there's a lot of kids with opportunities in this class because of where they put themselves academically. Um, where exactly that's going to be, we don't know yet because, you know, there's 30-plus schools that say they're interested, just don't know what we have to give yet. Um, so everybody's in a tough spot. I can say just from experience as a coach, you know, if, if it were any other year, Angel Flores would have six – Division one offers by now, but because it's 2020 and the, the way the NCAA has, has handled this, which, I mean, it was a no-win situation. I wish they would have ex- allowed the roster to be expanded and, and offers. I, I don't understand that move, um, to be honest with you. But, you know, it, it's, it's a tough situation. to You know, no matter what decision you make, nobody's going to be happy. Everybody's not going to be happy. Um, but normal year, he would have had more. I've had three or four. Division one colleges say we'd offered him by now, but we can't. We're not allowed to, so we're waiting. So we're sitting on our hands. Um, you know, you have Louisville, you have Rice. I don't mind saying them because it's true. You know, you have Louisville, you have Rice, uh, you have Northern Arizona, you have you know Fresno State. All these schools that say we're just waiting, but we love the kid, but we're waiting. And so I, I think March and April you'll start to see that pick up. Right now you're not seeing it. Um, I hope March and April you will. It's just you know pandemic's taking a toll on a lot of things and recruiting is one that not a lot of people think about but it's making it tougher 
Yeah, and I want. I think one point that you made there that's important is uh, you have so many kids who are in good academic standing, and that's something that gets lost a lot of times. Uh, academics are so important in getting to that next level, no matter how good of a football player you are. Okay, uh, that does it for this episode. Uh, I want to thank our guest again, Jake Barrow. Um, Jake, thanks so much for, uh, for being with us and taking some time to talk. Yeah, thank you guys again. It was great. This podcast is brought to you by Casa Grande Jewelry and Pawn. We bring integrity, honesty, and customer satisfaction is our number one priority. We are a family-owned and operated business, and we treat our customers like family. Start off the new year by checking out our amazing inventory of guns, jewelry, and more. Located at 1326 North Pinal Avenue in Costa Grande. Open 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday to Friday and 9 to 4 on Saturday. Our phone number is 520-836-7774. Thanks for listening to Pinal Central's Retro Rewind Podcast. Remember to go to PinalCentral.com and our Facebook page to access future podcasts. We are also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite streaming services. We will catch you next time.